to say hello to Paul and Dulce, our kids and youth leader pastors. God bless you. Good to see you upstairs. Dulce, your mom and dad, God bless you. Always good to have you here. Praise the Lord. Well, we are, if you missed uh, what's been going on, uh, this will be the third Sunday where I'll be preaching on the topic of fasting. Uh, we are in a, in a 21-day period of fasting. We started last Sunday. We're going to go to the 29th. And uh, as I've been saying, it doesn't matter if you do a day or three days or five days or all 21 days, or if you do one meal or one dessert, whatever you do, the Lord does take notice of it. And so we're on this, this period, this, 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 uh, this journey together, trusting God to break some bondages and to set captives free. But I have to tell you, when, when we do this, we're the ones that are going to change the most. That's, that's the whole point. I mean, we're giving everything to God, but it's, it's us that are going to change. And I, I say, you know, it could be anything that we give to the Lord. I think I mentioned last week that since Pamela broke her arm, I've become very acquainted with the market basket world. Well, a, a funny thing happened this week. Uh, you know, usually I you know, say hello and, you know, all that good stuff. and Try to be friendly to people. But this week, something really weird happened. I was going down the aisle, and man, those Hostess chocolate cupcakes were calling my name. Over here! I said, no, I rebuked that. Then, then it was the yodels, the devil dogs. I said, devil dogs? But, and then, <laughs> then it was the, the checkout line always gets me, because they have all the candy over there. And more often, I don't even tell my wife, more often than not, I get a Mounds bar, you know. That, that's my little treat. But it's a confession. But what I'm saying is, see, by not doing that, you may not think it's a big deal. God sees that. Lord, I'm not going to do it this time. It's going to kill me, but I'm not going to do it. This is my fast to you. God sees that. So whatever you can do, and we said last week, whatever you hear of other people doing, no one gets elevated and no one gets criticized. Someone could maybe do 21 days. Maybe someone will do seven days or three days or one day. Well, good. That does not deserve exaltation. That deserves, you know, thank you, Lord. Now, if someone gives a, a meal or a dessert or whatever, that, that doesn't deserve criticism. That deserves thanks that somebody's doing something for God. So, as we said, no criticisms. This is a, an all-church event. And uh, I believe already there's good things happening. I'm going to share a little bit at the end. But whatever you could do, God is faithful to to, to, to hear us and to see us. So I want to I do something a little bit different today. Um, we, we've been in Isaiah 58. And, uh, oh boy, okay. <laughs> I want to read Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12, from the Message Translation. Now, I personally don't use the Message very often. Once in a while, I'll look at it to get a little different flavor for a passage, or because it, it's very contemporary and... Um, it, it, it helps us understand some passages with a little bit more clarity. So we're going to have it on the screen. You may want to look at your Bible and see how it translates, how, how it goes together. Uh, if you have NIV, New King James, King James, American Standard, whatever, they're all good. This is okay. This isn't a study Bible, but it's okay for, for a paraphrase. So I'm going to read the verses 1 through 12 from the message translation. Shout! A full-throated shout! 
Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship. They love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They asked me, what's the right thing to do? And they they love having me on their side. But they also complain, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line of your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast that I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and to parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast that I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. To get rid of exploitation in the workplace. To free the oppressed, to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on. Your lights will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then you will pray, and God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Hallelujah. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, may your word just burst in our spirit today. And Lord, may we get all we can get out of Isaiah 58 right now. Lord, speak to us through your word. And uh, Lord, receive our prayers, receive our fastings. As we continue, Lord, continue to direct our steps and our thoughts along these lines in the next two weeks now that we have remaining. Lord, move powerfully in our church, in our community, but Lord, move powerfully in our own hearts during this time. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Well, after reading that, I wanted to share with you uh, what I would call uh, five takeaways from this passage. And then I want to give you a couple of examples of fasting in, in the Word. The first thing that, that we see from this passage is that God's Word always corrects. You know, we can't, we can't have God's Word without it correcting us. Uh, how, many of, how many of you need correction? Come on. 
Because if we go our own way, you know, we're going to end up in trouble. But if we go God's way, we'll be all right. But here, so um, the Lord had a word for Isaiah, for Isaiah to give to the people of Israel. And uh, so I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's really good. And Isaiah had a strong word. I like how the message said it, you know, shout it out, you know, proclaim it. Don't hold back, just let them have it, tell them their sins. But see, that's what the Word of God does. Like, fast forward to New Testament days, we don't have prophets like that anymore. We have the Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the church. And through those three entities, the Lord speaks to His people. Now in that, uh, when we read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, we have, like we heard today, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the tongue, prophecy, interpretation, and so forth. God speaks in that way to the church. Ephesians 4 talks about the gifts that Jesus gave to the church. One of the gifts was the gift of the prophet. But nowadays, whenever that is in operation, it's always in operation to encourage, to maybe correct lovingly, to edify and to build up. It is never, ever meant to demean or to belittle. If that's the case, guess what? It's not from God. So so New Testament days, um, God is still speaking by his word. He's still speaking by his, his spirit. The church is the covering for that. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14.32 says something really important. It says that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So in the New Testament days, when someone gives a word or, or, or you know, speaks into someone's life, that word has to be discerned and accepted and affirmed by other prophets or other leaders in the church. And if it's not happening, guess what? It's not from the Lord. So in the New Testament, there's this process of checks and balances going on. Whereas in the Old Testament, the the Word was not written yet, the Holy Spirit wasn't released yet, the church wasn't in operation yet. Now we're living in this realm of grace and mercy and God's covering, but God is still speaking. He's still speaking loud and clear to us. You know, through His Word, by the Holy Spirit, and through His church, He's making His voice known to the world all around. But the thing about this is, um, the Lord called Isaiah to speak to Israel. Israel were God's people. So now you get into this whole thing. Sometimes God's people don't get it right. So the Lord speaks through His Word, speaks through the Scriptures, speaks by the Holy Spirit, speaks through the church for the church. So this message, you could say, is designed you know, by the Lord to give a message to the church by the church. So we're like Israel, but fast forward, we're, we're the church. Okay, so point number one, God is still speaking. Uh, his, his voice is still loud and clear. And uh, although sometimes we need to get a little jolt in the, in, the, in the side to wake up and smell the coffee, so to speak, and really listen to what the Word of God is saying. Because many people will say, that word's for somebody else. And the Lord is saying, hey, buddy, that word's for you. Which brings us to number two. Sometimes, this is based on Isaiah 58, sometimes we do the right thing with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude. Can I get an amen? See, these people here, if you look at verse number two, they sought the Lord daily. They were praying. You know, they, they delighted to know his ways. They, they studied the word, the law. They even fasted. They were doing the right things, but they were firmly rebuked by the Lord. So doing the right things is not always 
the right thing if you don't have the right heart and the right attitude about it. So how does that play out in our life? Well, someone could go to church and be a million miles away from church, both at the same time. Someone could be singing the songs and be thinking about something way far away. Someone could even come to a prayer meeting and just be critical and ornery and disruptive. And so they're doing the right things, but their heart, their attitude is, is, is in the wrong place. I call this uh, the pharisaical mindset. They look good, they look the part, but they're really missing the mark. In uh, Isaiah 58, 4b, the second part of verse 4, uh, the Lord says, this, this kind of fast that you're doing will never get my attention. And sometimes I feel like the Lord is saying to the church, this kind of worship you're doing, this kind of prayer you're doing, this kind of church attendance you're doing, man, I see you, but you're, not, you're really not getting my attention because your heart is a million miles away. So the pharisaical mindset, you're all dressed up, ready to roll, but your heart is really cold on the inside. So we need to realize that doing the right thing is the right thing, but we must do the right thing with the right heart. Otherwise, it's not acceptable to the Lord. Number three is this. God's ways are the best ways, but often are the most difficult. I I would probably say always the most difficult, but I, I thought of it last night. But God's ways are the best ways. But when we do those things, they're the most difficult things to do. So he says here, verses 6 and 7, he says, this is the right kind of fast. To paraphrase verse number 6, look in your Bible. You know, you're fasting in verse number 5, like you're making a big deal out of it, a big show out of it. But the kind of fast I want, I want you to go into warfare. I want you to get humble and broken before me. I want you to pour out your heart to me. I want you to be thinking and being concerned about people that are bound up in wickedness and sin and oppression, all these terrible things that are going on. I want you to to bring those things before me. I want you to, to do battle. And so I think it's like, it's like spiritual warfare with physical results because it goes on to say, you know, I want you to break the bonds of wickedness. I want you to undo heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, and then share your bread, share your home, clothe the naked, right? Uh, deal with yourself, deal with your families. Look at verse number, verses nine and ten. I, I want you to, to stop uh, uh, having this yoke around you, pointing your finger at one another and, and speaking wickedness to one another. I want you to do this the right way. So religion would say, just do the act. Everyone will know you're a godly person if you just go to church every Sunday. But the Lord sees our hearts. So he knows if we're in a good place or not. You know, we could worship the Lord and say all the right things, but the Lord knows. We may look good to everybody. That's religion. But he wants relationship. And so my my thought here is that um, the prayer and fasting definitely has to do with the people we have in mind. But if we're not willing and able to then reach out and do something for them, because it says, break the yoke of wickedness in verse 6, and then begin to feed them. So if you're not willing to, to break those bondages spiritually, and then act out physically and actually help somebody, your, 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 your prayers and fasting are not the proper way. So I thought about this. I thought about, you know, thank the Lord. We're heavily involved with several ministries in town with Common Ground with Cafe Ministry, uh, Leaving the Streets and so forth. So I just want to remind you and tell you thank you because your offerings for, for the missionaries that we support, a lot of it goes to our local ministries. That's a good thing. That's telling me that your heart is good and you're investing in actually doing something 
with uh, this, whole, this whole concept of reaching the hurting. So it would be one thing if we just prayed and fasted and didn't do anything. But doing the right thing, doing it God's way, always prompts us to act on what we're, act physically on what we're doing spiritually. Let me put it this way. We can't pray and fast to break bonds of wickedness and not be willing and able to minister to those that we're praying for. We can't effectively pray and fast while pointing the finger and gossiping about other people in verse number nine. So that would be like being critical of the people that we're concerned about. So doing, doing the, the best thing is always doing it God's way, but it's never easy to do it God's way. Because we could fool everybody. Hello? We could fool everybody. You know, no one knows what's going on in your heart. Unless it gets to a point where it shows on your face, and sometimes it does. Your countenance will show. You know, sometimes with a discerning spirit, you can tell where someone is with the Lord. Especially, not only that, when you hear them being critical of somebody, you know they're not right with God. So they want to do the right thing. They might become the church and this and that, but man, they're critical as could be. Their heart's not right with God. So doing God's will is important to do it, but you have to do it His way. And His way is always the most difficult way. You know why? It, it kills us. It, 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 and it should. It breaks us. It, it, it humbles us. It makes us think like, you know what? I'm so concerned about them, but God's showing me it's all about, it's me. It's my heart's not right. So I, I really think, you know, we're on to something here that, that when we, we do God's will with this and we're concerned about everybody, the Lord is saying, hold it, bring it back in to you. Which, which brings us to number four. Number four is doing God's will always gets personal. We can't do God's will, God's way, and have it not affect us. You ever meet someone that's really good at telling you what to do? I've met a few in my life. I'm not talking about your spouse. <laughs> Although, <laughs> no, I, I, I've, met, I, I've met a lot of people. They want to tell me what to do. And then they throw in, and God told me to tell you. I said, well... I'll wait for God to tell me, and I'll let you know later. But see, you know, because then you think, well, wait a minute. You're telling me. What about your life? What about your life, your, your mouth, your marriage, your everything about you? What's wrong with you? You're telling me what to do. But see, the, people are like that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we can't, we can't get into this fast mode without realizing ultimately it's about us. So this is the thing. Look at verse number 6 and 7, and 8 and 9 and 10. <laughs> Notice at the end of verse number 6, you break every yoke. You share your bread. You share your home. You cover the naked. You deal with your own sin in your family. Right? Verse, verse 8. Then your light will break forth. Your healing will come. Your righteousness will show. Right? Um, verse 9. Take the, take the yoke from your midst. Stop pointing your finger. Uh, uh, let your soul be afflicted by the hungry. And when you call, God will answer. When you extend your soul, you know, to those, then your light will shine, etc., etc. So all this is about what happens to us in the process of being, being aff- afflicting our soul and praying and fasting for others. That's the wisdom of God. That's the glory of God. That's the beauty of God right there. 
There's a scripture, Isaiah 55, 7, I think it is. His ways are higher than our ways, right? So we might be praying and fasting for somebody or some situation. And here's the thing. God's got that. He's got that. Now it's about you. Now he's trying to bring it back to you to see how you're going to deal with whatever he decides to do or not do. Okay, then the last thing is this. Um, doing, God's, uh, doing things God's way always, always brings life and hope, I would say. Look at verse 11. You know, it, when you do it the right way, you'll be like a, uh, you'll be like a watered garden. You'll be like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Anyone want to get like that? Man, I want to jump in. I want to be blessed that way. I do. I want to feel re, rejuvenated in my spirit, in my body, in my soul. But see, when we're doing it God's way, His blessing comes upon us. Verse number 12, from among you. See, when you're doing it God's way, life is going to come out from among you. Life, hope, courage will come out from among you. New ministries will rise up. You'll go out, you'll, you'll begin to restore things of old and start new things and new people will rise up and do things and you'll be called, and that could be you collectively if it's a church, but we will be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the street, streets to dwell in. So God's doing things God's way always brings life and hope and courage to people. John 10.10 10 says, the thief has come to kill, rob, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. Right? Second Corinthians uh, 3.17, it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And where there's liberty, there's freedom to do what God has called you to do. You know, in my life, I w- I, before I was saved, I, I could honestly tell you, I had a lot of things I wanted to do in life and was very frustrated because I was, the real me was locked up. It was locked up with sin, locked up with rebellion, locked up with pride and ego, all those things. I couldn't get out, I couldn't get out of my own way. But deep inside, I knew I wasn't who I really was showing. But when I came to know Christ, right, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom for the real you to come out. And I'm so grateful for that. The first thing that God did when he opened up that door of liberty in my life, I was, my sins were forgiven. I was born again. I was feeling all right, you know. I was feeling good. But the first thing God did for me after that was he gave me the courage and the strength and the, gave me a blessed wife, and we got married like six weeks after we got saved. That, I, I was free to take that step. Somebody say amen. amen. You know, she said amen. <laughs> and right after that, you know, I, I told you before, I was kicked out of college for a semester, and I showed them and stayed out for five years. I thought I'd never go back. I'll show them a thing or two. Well, after I got saved, I was free to, to take the steps to go back to school and get my degree. I was liberated. Man, I was, I was like, some, in some cases, people thought I was crazy, but I was going back to the school I got kicked out of, saying I'm ready to come back to school. But God gave me freedom and life and courage to go forward. And I never want to look back. But see, when we do things God's way, there's life and hope and courage and things are happening. First Peter 1.3 says this, God has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Can I remind you that Jesus is alive today? Jesus is alive today. He's, we serve a risen, living Savior. He's not in the tomb. The tomb is empty. And this isn't even Easter, but the tomb is empty. 
He is alive today. He's speaking today. He's doing things today. He's encouraging us today. He's convicting us today. He's raising us up and sending us out to do a work for him. You know why? He's coming back soon. He can't come back if he's not alive. He's very much alive and he's going to come back soon. But when we do things God's way, there's life and hope and courage and and faith and good things happen because we're following the way of the Lord. So praise God for that. So so we're in our 21-day fast. I want to encourage you to continue uh, in your fasting for the next two weeks. Uh, There's a sign-up sheet there. We're signing up for prayer for the second week. Uh, If you need a hard copy of the devotional for the prayer, fasting, little song, uh, you can pick up a hard copy. If you want to go on Facebook, you can look at New Life Haverhill and get the devotional every day for, for that, uh, for the, for, uh, prayer and fasting is very helpful. But I want to look quickly at three different examples in the Bible of people who fasted and maybe get some ideas as to how to go forward with this in the next two weeks and beyond. And the three people that the Lord put on my heart to share are three of the most important people in the Word, which are Moses, David, and Jesus. So take your Bible, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9, and you can just look through it as I speak. Uh, For the sake of time, I don't want to go through every little thing. Um, Every one of these examples could actually be a message in and of themselves, and I know we don't want to go there right now. (laughs) But anyway, Deuteronomy 9 the setting is this. Moses is on the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments from the Lord. It says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and the Lord, he had, had, he's having a holy moment with God. So I really think he was praying and fasting to consecrate himself. To get right with God. You know, hey, it's not a bad idea. I said it last week. Maybe some of us need to fast on Saturday for Sunday. Because Sunday we meet with God, right? So the principle is, let's do something to get ready. I always say anyway that Sunday morning service begins on Saturday night. By how you take care of yourself, go to bed at a reasonable time, get get prayed up, etc. It might be a good idea to throw in some fasting as you get ready for Sunday morning. So that when we come, and by the way, at at 9 o'clock this morning, man, I was jumping up and down. There was revival breaking out at 9 o'clock. Stacy, you missed it today. Oh, there were like, again, people, wait. you have to understand, in November and December, it was like pulling teeth. Now they're waiting for service to begin. There are 30, 40, there might have been 50 people here this morning at 9 o'clock. I'm excited. This is good. God's doing something. So anyway, so anyway, so Moses is having this holy moment with God. But when I look at the scripture, look in your Bible, Deuteronomy 9, verse number 7, 8, and 9. Look, he, remember, don't forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. So when they left Egypt on the way to the promised land, they were rebelling against the Lord left and right. They were a rebellious people. Verse number 8 says, Also, when you were in Horeb, you provoked the Lord, so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. But then when I go over to verse 18 and 25 and over in there, Moses says, I fell down before the Lord as at the first, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And verse 25 says, thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. 
So not only was Moses consecrating himself, listen to this. He was praying and fasting that God wouldn't wipe out the children of Israel. So somebody needs to get the idea that, you know what, in in addition to consecrating ourselves and getting right with God, somebody needs to start interceding for the church. Because Israel is the equivalent of the church. So that makes me think that, okay, we're, we're all concerned about people downtown and people doing drugs and this and that, and it's all good. But somewhere along the line, we've got to start praying and fasting for this church and for one another, for the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is going through struggles and conflict. They need our prayers. They need our fastings. So the church is being raised up, you know, to you, to be used that the Lord would speak through the church to the church. So I want to encourage you two things about Moses. He prayed to get right for a holy moment and he prayed and fasted on behalf of the children of Israel. Could somebody take up that mantle and pray for New Life Christian Assembly of God? I'm no, no hands, I'm just saying. Could someone do that? Could someone take up the mantle and pray for all the churches in Haverhill that are preaching the gospel? Uh, no, see, we, we focus on the, on the non-believer, but right now, focus on the believer. The believer is struggling. The pastors are struggling. Leaders are struggling. They need the church to be praying for them. And so can we incorporate that in our fastings in these next two weeks and beyond that as well? Okay, the second person is David. So take your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now I mentioned Samuel in the two previous sermons. I want to, I want this, I want to give you a little bit more context. So here's the story, verse number 13, 2 Samuel 12, 13. So the story is, David had committed adultery, she got pregnant, he was felt embarrassed, so he had her husband killed, so everybody would think that he was the father and he would get off the hook, basically. And he went on his life. So some time went by, and we don't know how much time went by, but at one point Nathan, a prophet, came and told David this story, and, and by discerning the story, David said, well, that man was wrong in what he did. And, and Nathan says to him, David, you're the man. You're, you're the one who did wrong. And so verse 13, it says David was convicted. He repented. He said, I did wrong. And it says in verse 13 that uh, the Lord has put away your sin, you, and you won't die. So hallelujah, he's off the hook. He's free. He's liberated. He's forgiven. But the, the next verse says, however... And because of your sin, David, your son's going to die. So that's where the word consequences comes into play. There's always consequences to what we do. God will forgive us. God is so graceful to forgive us. But then we have to deal with whatever we did in real life. We're forgiven, but we have to deal with it. So David takes it upon himself. Well, I'm going to pray and fast that God won't take my son. So he's praying for healing. He's praying if you look at it in that way, he's praying that the consequences won't be what God said they would be. So he's praying and fasting to change the mind of God regarding his son. So he prays and he fasts. In verse number 18, he he said on the seventh day, so he was doing this for for a week. He's praying and fasting and beseeching God, don't take my son, don't take my son. And uh, and remember, he's in good standing with God now. He's right, he's forgiven, He's, he's okay. So he's probably thinking, well, I think, you know, God will do something here. Well, verse number 18, the child died. The child died. And so, um, so the, the story goes on. 
Verse number 18, uh, it came to pass that the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and and uh, he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He might do some harm. So they were afraid to tell David because maybe maybe he started throwing things around or, or hurt himself or whatever. And so they were they didn't know what to do. David saw that his servants were whispering. He perceived that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, yes, he's dead. Verse number 20 is a miraculous verse. So David rose up from the ground. He washed himself off, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord, into the temple, to worship. Then he went to his own house, and when he, when he requested, they said food before him, and he ate. All that to say, how, how was he able to deal with that in that way? I really believe those seven days of prayer and fasting prepared him for whatever God was going to do. If he wasn't praying and fasting and seeking God, that might have been a whole other story at the end right there. He could have hurt himself. He could have got angry. Who knows what he would have done. But he washed himself off and and had the presence of God, had the wherewithal to get up and go to church, go to the temple and worship God. And so in this case, he's praying for healing and, and for the consequences to be turned. Didn't happen that way, but I call this the residual benefit of fasting. Something he didn't even think was going to happen, happened. It happened to him. His son was not healed. He was healed. And who knows how much guilt he carried with him that whole time after, after Bathsheba got pregnant, he, the, her husband was murdered, he's living in this secret sin for, for months and months and months. He must have been so filled with guilt and anxiety, but that seven days purified his heart, got him right with God, and when it all came down, he's, he said, I know what I have got to do. I've got to go to the house of the Lord and worship my God. And then it goes on, just real quickly, um, well, verse 21. The servant said to him, what is this that you've done? You fasted and wept for your child when he was alive, but when he's dead, you, were, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? I always tell people when someone's really sick in their family, you pray for them. You never know what God's going to do. Don't give up. Give up after the fact, either, either with the healing or with the death. Then it's, you know, it's up to the Lord. But keep praying. You never know what God's going to do. He says, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? No. But then verse 24, he goes and he comforts the mother of the baby that died. So we kind of forget about the mother. I mean, the father was upset, but the mother has a different feeling for the child. He's now able to go minister to Bathsheba. To me, that's a miracle. It's no longer about him and his sorrow. He's comforting the wife or the, the mother of the child. And then they have another baby who was Solomon, and God blessed that baby. So sometimes when we fast... What we're fasting for doesn't happen, but something greater happens. It's just the fact that we're in the mode of, of seeking, you know? We're in that, in that, that motivation, that, that, uh, that, whatever, that journey of running after God and beseeching God and in that attitude, in that realm. Only God knows the best thing for us. So I, you know, pray and fast for people, for situations, but fasten your seatbelt. Because ultimately, it's going to be about you and what happens to your heart. So here, David's heart was changed. He was able to deal with the death of a son. Very serious issue, for sure. Okay, the last one is this. I want to close with this. Jesus, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, a great passage. 
two verses, one and two. Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. In those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So here's Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered. I've always found it interesting that the Holy Spirit would lead him to the wilderness where he was tempted. So that's just a little dynamic there, but 40 days he was fasting. And in that time, he was tempted by Satan three times. Each time, Satan used the word of God to trip him up, if you remember the story. But his prayer and fasting, I believe, I believe his prayer and fasting prepared him uh, to, to battle what was going on. First of all, it got him ready for the spiritual battle. So I don't even want to raise your hand, but whether you know it or not, we're in a spiritual battle. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything specific, although it might be. We're, we're just in a spiritual battle. It comes with the territory. So we might want to think, okay, to combat or to be strengthened for that battle, maybe I need to pray and fast. You know? Um, and then secondly, every time Satan threw the word at Jesus, and it's interesting that he knows the word, but Jesus knows the word better. Amen? So, so he was able to rightly divide the word and use the word correctly against the wiles of the devil. So when we pray and fast, I don't know if this has happened to you, it's happened to me. A passage that I'm familiar with, when I'm praying and fasting, it like pops out, man. Something new is going on. It's not the word, it's me. I'm more tuned into it. I'm more, I'm able to see it. You know, so, so fasting sharpens our awareness spiritually of what's in the word. And the last thing about this, verses 14 and 15, after those 40 days, Jesus was set out to be in his ministry, that lasted three years, right? But ended at the cross. And then ended, uh, ended at the empty grave. But that prayer and fasting uh, strengthened him for the call of the Father upon his life. So if you feel like God is calling you into something, guess what? A time of prayer and fasting would really do you well. To get consecrated, get holy, get right, get, get in a good position to hear from God. So you can go forward. So we have Moses, uh, we have Moses' consecration and uh, praying and fasting for other people. We have David for healing, uh, but also for the residual benefits of that. And Jesus uh, fasting for the battle, for the word to be powerful in us, and for the work of ministry. So these are some examples I'm trying to show you that uh, fasting has many different aspects to it. So how about you? Are you ready to continue this fast? Remember, do whatever you can do. If the yodels are calling you at Market Basket and you say no, it counts. I'm telling you, it counts. And when you want to have a second helping of whatever and you say no, that counts. So does a three-day fast with nothing. But whatever you can do, God will notice and God will move. Let me give you some quick testimonies here real quick. So we're doing this till the 29th. Quick testimonies. Remember last week I told you about the $16,000, the check? Well, above and beyond our regular tithe and offering, we're going to add to that amount. Now it's up to $23,000 that came in above and beyond our normal tithe and offering. So someone could say, ah, oh, that's just a coincidence. I'll say, fool on you. That's God moving. You know? I talked about the garage coming down. I really think that's a sign. Someone said they didn't even know the garage came down. It came down. 
symbolically, that's the first step that we're taking to build our new church. All that stuff over there has to come down. The house has to be moved, etc. And so it's like the first fruit of something that God's doing. I, I think that's really something that God's doing there. I, I've had a call, a couple of calls, but one in particular about a, a prodigal son uh, that we, we know personally. I know personally doesn't come here, but uh, I feel like God is moving on the hearts of some prodigals. I do. And so you, is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I think I have to think this way. We're praying and fasting as a church for God to... Are we praying specifically for prodigals? Maybe, maybe not, but God knows our heart. And God is moving through us to touch people. I had a phone call, had a meeting last week, going to continue with this week. I'm telling you, God is on the move with our young people. I know it. I, especially the part in Isaiah 58, 11, I think it is, where God will raise up the old foundations. These, some of these prodigals, they know everything. They were raised in the church. They know it all. They could teach us. They're not living it. And God is bringing them back into a healthy relationship. That's what I mean. He's raising up the old foundations. Oh, man, that's so good. Then we have uh, leaving the streets ministry. Uh, and, you know, we will be called the repairer of the streets, right? The, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Why wouldn't God bless leaving the streets ministries? It's something that we support. But this past week, they finally, after months and months and months of a lot of haggling and this and that, repairs or whatever, construction, they finally got their occupancy uh, notice from the city of Haverhill. Now, is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think it is a coincidence. I think God's hearing not only our prayers and fasting, but many people's. And then Common Ground also. They also got their certificate of occupancy, waiting for, what, three years Three years for that. They got, now, now people can go there legally. And they're gonna, both of these ministries, Leaving the Streets and Common Ground, are gonna have a grand opening in March. We'll let you know the dates of that. So, um, oh, I didn't tell you also. Now, I wasn't praying and fasting for this in particular thing. But, uh, last week, a, a brother that always comes to the early service, his name is Kenneth. He and his wife, Annette, just had a baby a few weeks ago. Well, I heard he was a keyboard player. But he availed himself on Saturday. And this guy is really talented. So this morning, Stacy was out with her kids, and Dickie was in North Carolina. And uh, so it was just me leading worship at 9 o'clock, but Kenneth came and played. I'll tell you what. And remember what I said before. At 9 o'clock, there were people waiting for the service. This was a good thing. The presence of God filled this place at 9 o'clock. I'm telling you, it was a beautiful time of worship. So God is doing something even beyond what we're asking him for. He's doing it. I mean, we didn't ask for that money to come in. I I never asked for that. That just came. So I think God is moving and doing things, and and, and we just have to be aware of what he's doing. So I want to encourage you, whatever you can do in the next couple of weeks, God will take notice. And if you've got a testimony, please let me know. I'd love to, if it's okay, to share that. But let me know what God's doing in your life and in your situation. So why don't we stand and pray? Uh, the, the last scripture there, Isaiah 58, this is the kind of fast that God's looking for. Loose bonds, undo burdens, free the oppressed, break every yoke, share your bread, house the poor, cover the naked, deal with your sin and your family. Then when you do that, then your light will break forth, your righteousness will go forth, your healing will come. Hallelujah. Every head bowed for just a moment.